And clap your hands and join me tonight to welcome Brad to the table. Anyway, but we had another worship leader here whose dad was a pastor. So I was super involved in that. 
but man, I was just trying to figure it out. I was giving you permission to talk back to me, Mike. All right? Now, you, you know, I want you to say, okay, yes, amen, all those things. I'm fine with that. All right? And you can stop me in the middle of this if you'd like. Um, I want to read something to you, though, to, to kind of set this up. 1948. I was a poli sci major. Comm studies double. Pre-law. That was where I was going. What's going on in 1948? Talk to me, history majors, poli sci people. 1948, what's happened? Where are we? Okay, we just finished. Okay, good. All right. So in 1948, we're about to enter into the Cold War, which was an arms race between who and who? All right. Come on. U.S. and the Soviets. Y'all thought you'd get Well done right here. Andrew, you crushed that. Okay. All right. Uh, 1948. I want to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis. Now, who is C.S. Lewis? A beast. A beast. Okay. <laughs> he is a beast. Who is C.S. Lewis? Who else? Narnia. Well, he's a theologian. He was an atheist before he was a Christian. Atheist who met Jesus through philosophy and became a theologian. What country is he in? Britain. He's Britain. All right. And he wrote famously, the most famous words he probably wrote were? Narnia. Uh huh. Uh, what? Christianity. Mere Christianity. Well done. I read it at Furman. First place I read it. What else did he write? Okay, awesome. 1948. Did anybody, anybody get all that? Yeah. Get Nine, listen to this. So important. 1948. Here's what he writes in an essay. Okay, pretty short. C.S. Lewis on living in the atomic age. This was not theory. They had just seen, experienced the United States of America, us, drop two atomic bombs that ended the war. Not only did it end the war, it just destroyed cities. Now an arms race is happening. Everybody's, the war's over, but there's now a new war happening. He's how, here's how he writes. In one way, we think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age, you might ask? I'm tempted to reply. Why? As you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or, as you would have lived in an age of Vikings when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in the age of cancer and syphilis and paralysis, air aids and railway accidents and motor car accidents. In other words, listen, in other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us we're going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors. Anesthetics. <laughs> I don't know, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> it is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, but the bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, Chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. Mm. They may break our bodies. This is so, so pathetic. A 
they need not dominate our minds. Amen. And I think for tonight, I'm going to bring in, my job tonight is to encourage you. I believe tonight's message will be one of the most important messages I preach to you, the first people that are going to hear. The message I'm bringing to you tonight, I'm bringing to my staff at church next week. Because I think one of the things that we've got an opportunity to wrestle to the ground right now is we need to gain a strong and sturdy theology of suffering. Now, you're not going to get that on TV from a preacher. You might not get it on Sunday morning. But I think it's one of the reasons that, and I don't know, you might be here tonight, and you're kind of just here because a roommate brought you, a teammate invited you, you came because maybe there's a cute girl or a cute guy that maybe you want to talk to later. I just, I'm so glad you're here. But one of the reasons that I believe lots of people turn on American, Western, South Carolina Christianity is because it is thin. And that's not the Christianity of the scriptures. It's not the Christianity of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that there is a strong, strong, rock-solid theology that you can have that can endure atomic bombs and coronaviruses. And people in your world need that. They need to see you exemplify that. They need to see you model that. And again, we can't think that we are some kind of wow novelty because we're walking through this moment. History proves that we were all going to die. Look at me. The question is, are we all going to live? Mm. Not whether or not we're going to die. The question is, are we going to live? So, I'm going to invite you in to Romans chapter 5. Who wrote Romans chapter 5? Paul. Oh, well done. Come on. Who is Paul? There's no, there's no camera. We're not multi site tonight, so I'm going to do this all night. Okay, you're going to engage with me. I hope you take notes. Who is Paul? Apostle. Okay, he's an apostle. What was he before that? Oh. Saul. Studied. Stud- now, this is what you mind. Did you know his name actually wasn't Saul? That's something that we've done after the fact to try to make it easier to understand. Anyway, neither here or there. That's just he, he was the same name. So he was a religious Jew who was killing and murdering Christians, meets Jesus, Acts chapter 9, dynamically, and God saves him, changes him, he changes everything about him. And now, he's so learned, he's going around, he's telling people how the Old Testament connects to what Jesus has done, and he's proclaiming, he's preaching. He's writing the book of Romans. Romans is so powerful, and in Romans chapter 5, I need someone to read the first five verses. Who would do it? You've got to read it. Yeah, you can't just kind of like sort of, you got to read it. Who can give me a little um, um, gusto here? All right? Come on, somebody. Somebody, somebody, somebody. Otherwise, I'm just going to point. All right. Yes. My God. Yeah. Now stand up, my Julian. friend. Julian. Stand up. What's your name? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Julian. Romans chapter 5. I need these first five verses. Listen to me. We're listening for the word suffering. Go, Julian. Um, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Excellent. Y'all give Julia a hand. Yeah. So here's what I want to do, okay? I want to reverse engineer hope tonight. All right, now, if you don't know what that means, let me just say, we, we saw right there in verse 5, it says there's hope in the end. The fruit of what we're talking about is we're going to get hope. Now, simple economics. Any economics people in here? 
Economics people, come on, somebody. Nobody's like, okay, all right, tell me about the supply and demand. It's easy. What's supply and demand? It's so simple. I know I'm putting you on the spot right here. I'm coming for you. You raise your hand. I know, or maybe your friend raised your hand. Uh, she can tell you how you can phone a friend. Supply and demand. If you have more of something, you have a lot of supply, uh, all right, and, and that means that demand's going to be low, and that means the price of said supply will be also low. Now, if you don't have a lot of something, and you have a high demand, the price of that something will be high. high. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Supply and demand, that's basically economics, okay? Yay! Yay! Okay, this is So here's the point, here's the point, here's the point. Is hope in high demand or low? Uh, not your question. How many people would want hope right now? Like not fake hope, not high. I'm talking about hope. I'm talking real hope, man. Seriously, if you could get some hope, and like, you know, uh, y'all don't have winter term here. Praise God. I know. Isn't it ridiculous? So you don't even have a clue. You have no idea. We had this murderous eight week or ten week. Uh, I blacked it out. Yeah. <laughs> January and February, where you took an entire, an entire course in two months, and every day, the class was 90 minutes long at Furman. Not a, not a, I'm not talking about a Clemson class. Sorry, Jimmy. I'm not talking about a Furman class. A 90-minute long everyday Furman class where basically you had a, I'm talking a 10-page paper or a test every other day. Yeah. It was horrible. It was horrible. And if you played sports, it was doubly horrible. You don't, you didn't have anyone. They were tired. It was gone. Done. Now you have two semesters. Murders. You get my point. You know what you needed? In those days, you needed hope. You needed hope. You needed hope. Can I tell you something? Look at me. Look at me. In the white of my eyes. Everybody in our world right now needs hope. What kind of money could you make if you could bottle hope and sell it? You'd run Jeff Bezos out of town. If you could get hope and put it in a bottle and say, this is real, pure, authentic hope. All you need is one drip. And it changed, boom, it changed everything. How much could you sell that for? I mean, it'd be unbelievable. Well, here's the deal. Paul in Romans 5, Julian just read it, tells us we have hope. But you've got to grow hope. And do you know what hope grows in? Look at me. It grows in the soil of suffering. Now, Julian, I don't want to, you were reading out of, I think, probably like an NLT, NIV, what were you reading from? NLT. Okay, NLT. This, it doesn't matter, I'm not picking a fight here. NLT is a great one to read, but ESV, NASV, New King James Version, you're getting a word-for-word translation instead of a sentence-for-sentence. Sentence. The actual word Paul used is the word suffering. It's in verse 3, if you've got your Bible open, verse 3 of Romans chapter 5, all right, it says this, not only that, but we rejoice we rejoice in our sufferings. Christians, you're supposed to rejoice in sufferings. I, when's the last time you found out you tore your ACL and you just lost your mind? Wow. Yes! Woo! That's crazy, isn't it? This is not a joke. My, one of my teammates, literally while I'm standing right here, one of my teammates, Michael Dodd, played baseball, was a bullpen catcher. He married another firm girl, Kat Sally, Catherine Dodd. Uh, if you know Coach Lambis, Coach Lambis' niece, they're part of our church. They literally, while I'm standing right here, just found out that their baby girl has a pinched aorta. Oh, no. Okay? Do you think they're rejoicing right now? I don't think they are. But the Bible tells us that when you have a rock-solid understanding of what Jesus has done, my sweet sister prayed, you don't get a, you don't get a resurrection unless you have what? 
Free speech. You prayed. Right before I came up here. We don't get into tombs without crosses. You don't get into tombs without crosses. And you don't get hope without suffering. And so my question to you, brothers and sisters, saints. Now, if you're not a believer here, just, you can opt out for just a moment. Do you have a faith that when things happen to you, I'm talking the things you didn't want to have happen. The divorce, the cancer diagnosis, the car wreck, personal injury, the things to break up. Do you have a faith that can get above it to the point where you look at that and go, thank you. Because I know what you're growing, God. You are growing hope. Because our world needs hope. And one of the reasons they can't find it is because we have a bunch of, I'm raising my hand right here with you, we have a bunch of Christians that think simply Christianity is about raising your hand when you're 13, praying a prayer so you don't go to hell, and cashing in on that when you're 80 and you die. Instead of understanding that it's that and so much more. Amen. It's so much more. That there is a faith that you can have because of what Jesus Christ has done, that you can look at the very difficult things in life and know that there is a sovereign God who rules and reigns over them all. Romans 8.28. Anybody know it? Huh? Huh? Romans 8.28? All things work together. All things work together for the good. All things. That means that the, the car wreck, the cancer, the pinched aorta on the sweet little girl's heart in the Dodd family, the things that you're walking through, the difficult things, all things work together for the good because we have a God who is above it all, reigns sovereign and supreme over it all, and he's not wringing his hands wondering what the coronavirus or the politicians or the things that we're dealing with in the marketplace. He's not worried about that. But what he's invited you and I into is a mindset that shifts the way we live, that we look at sufferings and something in us. Like, I mean, he, these are his words, guys. He says, rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. So I want to invite you into a, this is how you can recognize, I'm telling you, a, a, a fake, a, and I don't mean to throw in appropriate shade, I'm talking about a fake preacher. I'm talking about heretics, if you do not have a theology that holds up on the worst days, you don't, you don't hear preachers preaching about a theology that holds up on worst They don't have a theology of suffering. Then they don't have a gospel theology. You hear me? Yeah. This is so important, y'all. This is so important. And so we've got to recognize that God has called us. Paul writes it right here. So Paul writes to the Philippian church, and he says, to live is... Christ and to die is what? Pain. That's a different kind of mindset, isn't it? That's a mindset that says you can't hurt me. This body right here, <laughs> you whip me, beat me, stone me, throw me out of town, drown me. It's fine because I'm going to just keep living as Christ. Do you know how powerful it is to have a posture where you're not worried about what men and women can do to you? Do you understand how powerful it is to not have the fear of men and the fear of women driving your decision? You are in an unbelievably power space, powerful space. And the only way you get there is not because you just puff yourself up so much that you say, I don't care what they think. 
It's because you are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. His Spirit is filling you up, and now you are living for Him. And if you die in the process, it is gain. That's how brothers and sisters are doing it in Afghanistan right now. But we, we are so spoiled. Come on, American church, we've got to be honest. We are so spoiled. We don't suffer. We, we, we medicate, and we insulate anything around us that hurts we medicate and insulate. I want you to write those two words down. Medicate and insulate. I want you to ask yourself, have you been medicating and insulating yourself from any kind of feelings that hurt? Okay? We will not enter into suffering. We, and again, this is not the gospel. We have, we, have, we have settled. The enemy has deceived us. The spirit of the age has deceived us in the American Western church. That Christianity is supposed to be receive Jesus, rainbows and butterflies. If anything comes my way that I don't understand, God, F you, man. If you were real, you wouldn't let this happen to me. And you take that, I don't know if you guys have ever actually remembered back one of the greatest movies ever, ever, ever was about a special needs Tom Hanks actor named Forrest Gump. Do y'all remember Lieutenant Dan? You remember Lieutenant Dan raging at God? after Vietnam. And we, I don't know where it comes from, it's our, it's our carnal arrogance, y'all, that, 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 that we operate like God owes us. Like we created Him. And I just want to say out loud, God loves us so very much, but what we need so much in the earth right now is a reverence and a fear of God. We don't have that right now. And we think God is some kind of lovesick boyfriend who needs us to complete Him. He doesn't need us to complete him. Read Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He is putting his heart out there. But one of the things that will absolutely shock you about reading the Gospels is that Jesus puts it. Let's see if I can I told this story the other day, so forgive me if some don't heard this. I met my wife at Cook's on the grass cutter. We're on our probably 12th, 13th date. Um, I mean, I'm spending money, y'all. <laughs> There's a restaurant that used to, it's closed now. I think it turned into Otto Izakaya over on Woodruff Road. It was called Blue Fire Grill. It's the spot. A reservation. I'm saving money. Okay? I take this girl, Corey O'Toole, this lady, out on a couple of dates, and we're going, I'm going, this is it. And I'm, we're finished, and they had a strawberry cake that made everything Coffee Underground made. Y'all so right? don't even know how spoiled you are that Greenville's the food city it is. I mean, the fact that Coffee Underground was like heights of heights. <laughs> it is so subpar. Anyway, so much better. I'll tell you about it. Dad, we had, we're eating the strawberry cake. I'm looking at her in the eyes. I hope this doesn't go so Person, I was 
occasional splinter while I'm splitting wood. I think I have a pair of tweezers somewhere. And she goes,
you have a, a view of what's going to happen in eternity that's different than everybody else. So I want to talk to you about that. I want you to write down the phrase Christus Victor. It's a doctrine. If you've never read about Christus Victor, it just means Jesus is my victory. So it means that you don't need your strength. Ben Earl, you don't need your strength. Kelsey Earl, you don't need your strength. Brad Cooper doesn't need his strength either, and you don't need your strength. You know the strength you need? You need the strength of Christ. Amen. You don't need your ability. You need his ability. And that is what's imputed to you in Jesus Christ's sacrifice. When you pray and receive him and his spirit fills you up, Jesus Christ, his strength, not yours, fills you up to do the work of every missional thing you'll do for the rest of your life. You need that strength in your sophomore year, junior year, playing on the cross-country team, on the football team, leading in your dorm as a sorority sister or a fraternity brother, wherever you've found in your career, you need Christus Victor. But we right now are living as victims in the earth. You're not a victim. Paul writes and says you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Now that doesn't mean you go out and in your strength conquer. It means he's conquered on your behalf. So you don't have to strive to prove yourself anymore. You walk in his victory. And you begin to walk in just like he does and carry your own cross. So, um, I've got, you saw the picture earlier. My daughters are, are second grade kindergarten. I've got a son. Wild man. He gets way more spankings than his sister. Anyway. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, I won't chase the rabbit with spankings. Anyway. He gets a loving <laughs> We have chickens. Y'all, we have chickens. My wife saw the Instagram. So we got season last year. I'm out in the yard building the chicken. <laughs> okay. All right. Anybody have chickens growing up? Anybody have chicken chicken? Yes. They're right. But the steaks are real, y'all. Steaks around our house all the time trying to eat these chicken eggs. This year, seven steaks. We're everywhere. Steaks everywhere. Trying to get in. They're all black snakes. It's whatever. We got cats now. Take care of the snakes. We got animals. It's a big farm. <laughs> anyway, I'm telling my daughters about chickens because in the fourth grade, Mrs. Griffin's class, Atkinson Elementary, here's the North Carolina best part from. In the fourth grade, we had an incubator in the class. Does anybody remember this? Oh, yeah. You remember yeah. this? Okay. Incubator in our class. <coughs> We've got the eggs. What do you do with the incubator and the eggs? What do you do? So we had to make observation. We're learning about the scientific method. I don't know if you guys remember the fourth grade or not. I'm 30. I was 39. It's coming, okay? So fourth grade. It's closer to you, okay? Learning about the scientific method. We've got to make observant. Yeah, we've got to write down during the day. And you know what the eggs did every day? Nothing. They look the same. The egg is white, and it is sitting there just like yesterday, quarter turn. Until the day that it wasn't. And you came in. And all of a sudden, what was going on? Not, 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 not just yet. They're like moving and shaking. Because it takes a minute. Chickens don't just boop, pop out. Okay, they, they gotta like work themselves up to it. I don't know if you've seen this. But it's like the eggs are, yeah, yeah. Have you seen this? You know what I'm talking about? I'm sure there's YouTube videos. Here we go. Like this. Yeah. You're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I've been watching for 30 minutes, and the edge just, I, see, I saw like a little beat thing. I guess all right, yeah, yeah. It takes forever. It takes forever. God designed them with this little thing called an egg beat. They work, 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 work. In Mrs. Griffin's fourth grade class, you know what we learned? If you help the chicken hatch, it dies. You're watching it struggle, 
And you think, oh my God, this looks so cute. I can't Listen to him. Listen to Big Brother Peter. He loves us. Wait, First, first Peter, Peter 
Read it. Okay. Read it with gusto. Oh my goodness, I'm nervous. Okay. Got <laughs> Therefore, since we, since, okay, I'm starting over. Start over. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Shake it, shake it, shake it. Okay, go. Okay. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body. Hold on, what did he say? Since Christ suffered? Okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Pause. 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 <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's significant. Arm yourselves with what attitude? The same as Christ who suffered. There is an arming. This is like get up and put your guns and your bazookas. You seem to sit right there. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> you got the jab, man. It's cool. Okay. Arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. This is important. So we have we have a mentality that we're supposed to have. Start all over. Read okay. it again. Sorry, I can't help you. No, yeah, yeah. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. I appreciate the kids are watching. So there is an army that you and I can have when we understand that we have a God who rules and reigns even over the worst suffering we will ever experience. Otherwise, you can't explain Auschwitz, friends. That's not a conspiracy that just you read about in your history books. It's real. You need a theology that can explain cancer. And I'm trying to help you arm yourself. Lazarus. This is where I'll close. Do we remember the story of Lazarus? Lazarus died. Do you remember this? This is in John 12. One of the most powerful, powerful moments I've ever had in my pastorate. Um, I've been a youth pastor at this point for maybe four years. And I've got a little girl um, who is in the seventh grade. And her dad is 33. At the time I'm like 20. And her dad is 33, and they find out he has colon cancer, and it's stage four. Um, he loves Jesus, and he worked with me, same as Zach. And um, Zach ended up about eight months later through the struggle of colon cancer going to be with Jesus. And I remember preparing a message at the time I was a youth pastor at New Spring. And I'm looking out, I'm looking at you, what's your name, sister? Absolutely. She's sitting with your sister. And I'm teaching about Lazarus. And literally, as I'm teaching, you do a lot in your preparation of sermons, but I'm preparing you. I catch her eye. And I know this is so important because her dad is at his very end. Do you remember the story of Lazarus? Mary and Martha were his sisters. And they send word to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, the one who you love, is sick. Would you come? Go read this story. Blow your mind. Jesus responds to them. I do love him. Tells the disciples that are with him, I love him. Because I love him, I'm not coming. What? That's the opposite of the way my wife would want me to treat her. Hello. Babe, I, I need something from you if you love me. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. I'm on the way. Right? Johnny on the spot. 
I love you, Corey. I love you so much. You're not going to see me for another week, girl. <laughs> right? I mean, that would not go over well. Counterintuitive. Jesus says, because I love him and I love them, I'm staying away. Let's Lazarus die. Shows up four days later. He's telling Mary and Martha, this is what he claims, I am the resurrection and the life. John 12, beautiful, beautiful. Says, let's go to the tomb. Tells him, move the stone away. One of the sisters, please let's not do that. Lord, he's been in there for a couple of days. Literally, the, they, they were familiar. We're so insulated. Check this out, same thing. We're so insulated, we don't even know what decomposing things look like anymore. We buy our chicken in Publix. We don't see anything die. We don't pluck anything. We don't, we don't kill anything. We eat Chick-fil-A. We don't kill anything. One of the things I, I try to teach my little girls is there's something hardwired about the gospel in everything. Things give up their lives so that other things can live. They're familiar with death. We're not. Please don't do that, Lord. He'll smell my mouth. Remove the stone. Lazarus, come out. What does Lazarus do? This is not a, this is not just you know a fantasy, a fairy tale. It's Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, calls a dead man from life, and Lazarus comes out. The place, can y'all help me here? What I need you not this is not rhetorical. I need participation here. What would you do if you were and your friend who had been dead for a week all of a sudden comes walking out of the grave. What would you do? This is not rhetorical. I need an authentic response. What? Y'all aren't responding authentically. You know why I know that? Because you're all seated. That is not how you would respond. <laughs> what would you, you would go crazy. You you would Sal Palantonio, ESPN. Sisters. <laughs> I'm playing the part of, of Jesus right here. No, that would be a little bit self-serving. <laughs> um, I'm just a bystander. You can be Mary. I know your name is Caroline. And you can be Martha. I can't see your name. Your name is Anne. Okay, Mary. Sisters. Oh my gosh. Your brother. Your brother. He's right here. You're here. You've already done the scene. <laughs> oh my! Look, he's like Lazarus. <laughs> well, that's Jonah. That's weird. Okay, Lazarus. <laughs> Holy cow, man! Sisters, your brother's alive. What in the world would you do if you're getting interviewed and this question got asked? Let me just this question. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? see everybody in your community worship Jesus because Lazarus is no longer dead. He's alive. But it meant that you had to go through some days of watching the one you love suffer. And you had to enter into suffering too. Post-game interview. Would you do it again? Theologically, I think the answer is absolutely no. Mary, Martha, it hurt, didn't it? And you were there wondering where Jesus is. I mean, Jesus is like, I thought he loved him. You watched your, he's asking you to pray for him. Would you send word to our, our friend, our rabbi, the Lord? You love him and you're crying and you're like, I don't understand. 
But now he's resurrected. Now that he's resurrected, he's whole. Was it worth it? And I believe that is the power of having a good theology of suffering. Thank you. Because listen to me. When every single, every single suffering that's ever existed, because we're in the middle of it, okay? The English phrase, Latin phrase is in medius red. We're in the middle of things. But one day we're not going to be in the middle of things. And every baby that's ever been aborted, every murder that ever happened in World War II, everything that people know about and don't know about will all be called back, resurrected from life. And we will all go, oh my God, Jesus Christ, you are Lord of all. And we will get the chance in that moment to see the worship. That is what's going to fuel. You ever wonder why people go worship forever? That's why! We're going to go, whoa, Jesus! I mean, it's going to just, what? I'm not that you Pentecostal. I'm just ready to be Pentecostal. You know what I mean? It's going to be your, you might be the most most frozen chosen Presbyterian you've ever seen. That person's losing their mind in heaven because people are going to be resurrected in power. That's what theology of suffering does. Have I done a good job of helping you understand why you need to say yes and arm yourself with living as Christ and dying as God? Have I helped you? idea. Are we going to sing songs? Is this over? One, more. One song. Okay, well, here's what I'd like to do before that. Because I, I think this, this is not just words. This is real life. And I know, because I do this, that as I'm preaching, there are people in this room that you're going through things. Real things. You, you've experienced tragedy. You've experienced loss. Some of you, even for me to talk about this, You've tried to let your heart not be too tender to it because it, to even go there maybe will set you back. I understand that, Pastor Lord. Some of you, it was 20 years ago. Maybe more like 10 years ago. Some of you might have been last week. But here's what I want to ask. There's power here in, in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite Ben and Kelsey and myself, any of the FCA leadership who wants to join, I would love if you would allow for anyone that needs strength to arm themselves with that kind of mindset and with the desire to come and allow us to lay hands on them. This is, this is not weird. This is what the Bible says we're called to do. This is why gathering together and not settling for Zoom meeting church is important. That's the whole point. The Bible says that we're called to lay hands and pray on one another for encouragement. There's a one anothering that can only occur when we gather like this. And so if you would feel like, man, I need, I need, I need some encouragement. Would you just pray? You don't have to share your story if you'd like. I'm fine with that. Um, but I would love to, if there's somebody here tonight, I think there probably is a lot. Maybe just needs prayer. And then we'd spend a little bit of time encouraging each other because the world needs to see that you and I are willing to count the cost and follow Jesus. We're armed with this. We've got to have a better understanding of the kingdom. Jesus says in Mark chapter 3, verse 27, he says, listen, it's like a strong man. You don't come in and rob a strong man. First you bind the strong man. Once he's bound, then you can come and plunder him. He was making reference to Satan. Satan has stolen from God and his people 
for generations and thousands and thousands of years. When Jesus Christ came at the cross and the resurrection too, he bound the strong man. Satan is not ruling and reigning anymore. The king of the air, Ephesians 2, he's not ruling and reigning anymore. Christus Victor says that we in Christ have the authority to take hold and plunder the things that Satan has stolen from God's people. Come on. That's not an arrogance. That's just a reality of the kingdom. And we are called to bring that kingdom now. And part of that is we need to encourage each other. So I, I just, I would call it a high honor. You, you, please, Ben, Kelsey, any of the FCA leadership guys, gals, uh, if you, we just kind of spread out in the room. And if we could pray for one another for a moment, I think that would be of high value. Worship team can come and sing. Would you stand to your feet? Please?